Welcome to the Center in the City podcast. I'm your host, Wade Brill, and during this series, I'll be interviewing various thought leaders, wellness experts, and humans on how they practice sustainable self-care and mindfulness. We'll get real and raw, talk about the light and the shadow side of self-care and mindfulness, and how we can actually stay centered amid the chaos and the hustle and bustle of our modern day world. So settle in and get centered. This podcast episode is brought to you by Centered in the City, a virtual on-demand self-care and mindfulness platform with different meditations, journaling prompts, nourishing recipes, and Pilates flows, all designed to support you feeling calm, focused, and energized as you live your life in this modern day world. For more information, head on over to centeredinthecity.com and claim your seven-day free trial. Welcome back to the Centered in the City podcast. I am so glad you are here. Today on the podcast, I get to interview Iggy Perello, who is a leadership coach. She created WSL Leadership. Iggy is passionate about supporting people who have positions of influence build their emotional intelligence skills so that they can create better places, better work environments, better spaces for people and the world. I'm really excited to have Iggy on the podcast to talk about conflict management and restorative justice and how we can heighten our emotional intelligence skills to repair our relationships because the world is so fraught with conflict in all of our different systems and Iggy is going to inspire us with some insight and awareness of how we can start to approach conflict from dare I say a more centered place plus Iggy just has such fun and light and bubbly grounded energy that takes these heavy concepts and makes it more playful so you will definitely laugh and smile as we talk about some serious shit. Let's settle in and let's get centered. Iggy, welcome to the Center in the City podcast. Thanks, Wade. I'm excited to be here. I want to begin by asking, bringing back one of my famous questions of what does being centered mean to you? Oh, this is a great question. Uh, I am a fan of wholeness over balance. I think balance is an unrealistic thing that people are like, well, how much garbage do I need to add to my life to like balance out the good stuff? Oh, wait, I have too much garbage. I need to suddenly to balance good stuff. Uh, it's a mess. Like, I don't think I have that much math capability for the amorphous pieces of the world we live in. So I think being centered means being accepting of the wholeness that we are, whether that's in terms of the work and the not work and the the person we feel like we have to be at work and the person we feel like we can't be at work, perhaps. I, I guess I'm speaking more to the working environment is just on my mind for this conversation, but the same is true for the, the non-work, you know, the non-work part of our life, which is our life, for example, and who we are with our family, our friends, who we are in those spaces uh, are still our whole self, regardless of, the pieces of our personality we have to bring forward or sort of, I don't know, not squash because that sounds so kind of aggressive, but to hold back on, I guess. And uh, yeah, embracing that sense of wholeness in whatever context it is, I think is what it means to be centered. I 
love that because how often I feel like there's just this per- permission to be our whole selves, knowing that certain parts of us will come out in our work situations. Other parts of us will come out when we're around this friend group and that friend group or different environments. But how can we see ourselves as whole and complete just as we are without feeling like there's this mathematical equation, as you mentioned, as needing to constantly like have our finger on the pulse. And when you say, when you said the words wholeness, it was like, I could even feel myself just be like, ah, (laughs) great. Well, and I think it takes off the pressure of being like, oh, am I being, am I being vulnerable enough in this situation? Like, that's just how vulnerable you feel like being. Am I being trusting enough in this situation? I I work with these pieces of emotional intelligence that are very qualitative and very sort of intuitive in some ways, not like in a, like, oh, the universe will tell me, but in a, like, this feels right to me, or this feels appropriate for the amount of trust, the amount of respect, the amount of like how I'm reading the situation. And that's okay. You don't have to like spill your guts everywhere, nor do you have to be a walled in little turtle in a shell everywhere. You can embrace those at times. Absolutely. And there's no pressure to like balance them out in any given situation. Yeah. So let's talk about, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast is to explore conflict resolution, which I think is a skill and a set of skills, let's say, that we all need and we all could benefit from learning more of or sharpening multiple times in our lives. Uh, Nonstop. Yeah. And, you know, our world is full of conflict. And I live in a part of the world, actually, you do too, where Pacific Northwest, where, well, I guess part of the year you're in the Pacific Northwest, but that can typically be very passive aggressive. And I'm originally from New York City, a place that is known as being aggressive. <laughs> mm, just straight out aggressive, aggressive, which is clear, um, right? It's so clear. You know what you're getting. Yeah. Yeah. And so I have just noticed lots of conflict around even just being like being from different places, being from different cities, being from different cultures and, and communities. And so how easily conflict can happen in any part of our life, the work environment, coworkers, friendships, family members, right? Conflict is in the news, countries, right? Like conflict is around us. So it's like, can you share with us what even practicing conflict resolution, like what that means? <laughs> That's a great question. It means everything. Uh, it is a practice more than a destination for sure. And everywhere you go, you'll see tips and tools like on my website, like here's a guide, here's a this, here's, you know, resources, resources, resources. But the basic part of conflict, and I would say conflict management over resolution, I don't think we can, like, I think the goal to resolve is like the goal to be in balance. Like, what does resolution mean and for who? And suddenly it's like competition and someone's right and someone's wrong. Like, I think in the terms of conflict management is more akin to relationship management. How do we manage this relationship that we're having right now in a way that everyone is thriving or everyone is functional or everyone is like making progress or everyone is like still here with us, like whatever it is, there's sort of, you know, it depends on so many different types of things. But I think the things that really matter are being able to communicate effectively and clearly and specifically around unspoken expectations. And like, basically those are the two things that cause conflict, either unspoken expectations or 
uh, a sort of a miscommunication of some sort. Like this thing matters to me and this thing doesn't seem to matter to you. Now we're kind of in a weird space about this thing. Or I wanted this thing to happen and it didn't happen, but I didn't really tell you that, but now it's not happening and now I'm acting weird to you, which is some classic food for passive aggressive behavior out there. Yeah, or just even in alignment with the communication piece, a lot of the times we don't know what we're thinking, feeling, needing. So how can we communicate that clearly to somebody? And then we assume that they should get or should understand what we want or need or what's important, but then they don't. Oh, yeah. Because we no have to knows. communicate it and we blame it on the other person. Oh, yeah. We blame it on them or we sometimes, depending on the space and all the things, we get into an emotional reaction spot. We get angry, we get frustrated, and then I'm just growling or yelling or making nonverbal noises and someone else is like, what is even happening? I have this uh, friend of mine who once told me about how she was really struggling with her boss and her boss would uh, interrupt her during meetings and she was trying to, you know, get her point across it. And the boss, like they're at a meeting, the boss interrupted her again. And she was, she said, she's like, so here's what I did. I'm like, what did you do? She's like, I said, ah, and I raised my hands and like shook my hands in the air. And I was like, ah, I'm like, did, did that actually come Like, did that help? Like that seems super unuseful to, and like her boss didn't know what she was doing, you know, like, I'm like, maybe perhaps you needed to tell your boss like, hey, you're interrupting me this is hard, like, let's figure this out versus I'm just going to yell and shake my hands the next time this happens. Like, okay, weird. But yeah, some classic sort of miscommunication, but like emotion, right? She felt really frustrated. Like the sound, like just seeing her like kind of describe this, I'm like, yeah, that sounds frustrating, like maddening, you know, just really angry, like she was being shut down, but also, you know, there's a lot going on there. I'm like, cool. Yeah. Emotional response is legit. And your actual ex like articulation of that probably didn't help in that moment and maybe later it was like hey remember when i was yelling about that thing here's what was happening like maybe that's like a marker for the conversation but in the moment not probably effective yeah and we all have so many different strategies or patterns to try to get our needs met and a lot of the time they're not or they can not be helpful. <laughs> oh yeah. <for laughs> um, sure. um, and there's a lot of like repatterning and reteaching of ourselves that we need to do to sharpen our communication. One of uh, my communication teachers, Orin J. Sofer, talks about you know communication. The the intention of communication is to get our needs met. Right, is that we live in an interconnected world, and so we all need to learn how to work together to get our needs met. And sometimes people can't help us meet our needs. And that's where, you know, a lot of self-soothing needs to happen and where we get to practice kind of meeting our own needs, which is a whole other piece. Right. Yeah. <laughs> a whole other set of tools. A whole other practice. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. But let's talk about conflict resolution. And you even have this beautiful term that you share on your website. And I know from other conversations around restorative justice. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. talk to us about what does restorative justice mean? How is that similar or different from conflict management? Uh, restorative justice is actually this sort of global movement and practice that involves looking at conflict from the perspective of what harm was caused, and then how do we actually repair that harm in, with everyone involved in that conflict in that situation? It, uh, as a term, it's come under fire because it sounds like, 
like, oh, you have, you're restoring something, you're fixing something. If you have a relationship that's kind of been damaged and then you fix a relationship, wait, aren't you just sort of patching up a garbage relationship to begin with? Like that is sort of the critique of the, I would say a critique more of the words than of the actual practice itself, because the practice itself doesn't moves relationships forwards and evolves relationships in terms of how people are relating through this uh, activity of actual repair. Like I, someone was harmed and I would say, uh, in my experience, like the, the super boiled down, simplified version is you're probably harmed in one of two ways that matter. You're harmed in terms of trust has been damaged or you feel disrespected. And I think there are a lot of other harms out there. Like, oh no, they stole my shoe. They, you know, like whatever, like there's specific things, but underneath all of these different layers is usually this piece of trust or respect that needs to be repaired versus like, oh, you stole my shoes. Now you gave them back. We're fine. Right. And like. We're sort of not, you know, like I still, if I work with you every day, you stole something from me, you gave it back. Like, we're not actually good here. Like we need to do more repair. And that is a repair of trust and respect often. Simple, simple, simplified. Um, so how do you then engage in that repair with the people involved? And it, the sort of hallmark of restorative practice is the circle where you have the people sitting together, like classically in a circle, usually a facilitator, someone to help, um, make sure, you know, keep the conversation moving and productive. And you get to this beautiful place of deep understanding of the harm that was caused. Like, oh, well, yeah, you stole my shoes, but oh, you needed whatever. Like for, there's maybe more to that story, right? And like, oh, you sold my shoes and here's more to my side of the story. Like why that, how that impacted me. So p the stories get heard on all sides and then repair becomes something more interesting and deep around like, well, I wanna feel comfortable you know, whatever, putting my shoes in my locker at school or whatever, because I want to feel comfortable at school. So that's what's being harmed is like my sense of feeling of safety in this space. How do we work together to fix that then? And, uh, and it's super personal. It's super individualized. It's not, um, there's this classic, I mean, the, the world of the US justice system is like blind justice, which I, you can't see my air fingery quotes, but like, I always have to say blind justice with the air fingery quotes because blind justice really is fundamentally oppressive because the people with more resources always do better in blind justice situations than the people with less resources, whether that's lawyer, money, time, connections, whatever it is. So blind justice is a tool of oppression. Restorative justice, then the word justice really means that how are we fixing the situation between these people in a way that this relationship is being repaired and that these people can work together, be together, interact together, it share in community together often at times it's sort of you know depending on the situation in a way that is productive healthy and moves forward versus someone was punished someone else feels better someone else feels bad no one actually in the end feels as good or bad as they think they're going to feel and we're all still on edge and nervous and suspicious to feel disrespected and distrust a uh, lack of trust in the situation so working on restorative justice means yeah those deeper levels of repair between people to build stronger relationships so how do we, if we were to break this down, you know, and, and maybe let's use a couple of examples, like a work situation, then maybe more of a familiar or friend situation. What does that look like? Or what are some of the steps that we can explore to create some restorative justice in our relationships where there's been rupture? I'm trying to think of a good, an easy, <laughs> an easy, there's no easy examples, right? Let's say uh, in a work situation, you have a coworker in your um, 
they're working on a project together classically this is also a fine uh example from the world of education you're working on a project together they're not doing their part right you're like oh i need to get this thing done blah 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 this part's missing oh wait that's your job your responsibility so now you have this you're like well can i trust this person like they didn't do their part i'm in conflict with them a little bit and i would say not every conflict is like a fist fight brawl right like we are we are in trouble in this relationship if i don't trust you to do your part meanwhile you might just be like la 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 out there for have forgotten so i think the steps are really in the beginning to understand what what your expectations are those unspoken expectations need to be made clear to you even as a person like oh i thought we both knew this was the deadline like it was friday like i thought we both knew that but maybe we didn't i don't know i thought we both knew what we were doing i was doing part a you were doing part b were we not clear on that? Maybe. I mean, so there's some clarity there that needs to happen. And I think there are some deeper levels of unspoken expectations too. And I think people, I don't know if you've met someone who's like, oh yeah, I'm a, like, if you're five minutes early, you're late kind of person. So blah, blah, blah. And you're like, well, I didn't know that I showed up on time and you're pissed because I'm on time. And I, you thought I was late. Not, you know, unspoken expectations. Some, <laughs> there's many classic versions of that. So getting clear with yourself on what is expected, getting clear with what needs or what harm has been caused. And like harm also seems like this big grandiose thing. And yeah, trust is important, but the reality might be like, well, we worked together a lot and I expected this thing done on Friday and it wasn't, uh, I can probably just talk to you because I know you well, you know, depending on what the relationship is that we have, right? Uh, and maybe this is a one-time thing or maybe this happens all the time, right? Like, oh, this last week your thing wasn't done on time. Two weeks before that, it was kind of done, but it was half done and crappy. Three weeks before, you know, like there are like these pieces add up because relationship is like a thing that happens over time. There's not like a sort of a static snapshot that we can take. So recognizing that, understanding relationship, understanding the, um, your expectations, your sense of the relationship, which really <laughs> our sense of relationship might not be shared with the other person who's just like, yeah, I don't need, what was your name again? I'm just like here to like turn in this stuff on Fridays. Like, well, I don't know who you are even. Like they may, whatever it is, you may have, all these things may be differently shared between people. And the sort of the next piece is to get to that clarifying point. Like, well, here's what I really need for myself. Like I need to feel confident that this person, this piece will be done. And there's like a little bit of the why that matters in here to ourselves. And maybe that why doesn't matter for the other person. Like, oh, I need to have everything done five minutes early because I need to feel that makes me feel confident going into the situation and blah, blah, blah versus someone else who's like, yeah, I just wing it in the moment. And you're like, oh, you know, freaking out, uh, perhaps. So why that matters to me, what needs this meets me for me are all pieces I need to kind of cogitate on a little bit. And then to go into the confrontation with the person from a place of questions before I have judgments and to ask, hey, do you have this thing? Did like, you know, is this is, is my perception of the situation even clear? Like, I thought this thing was gonna be done Friday. Uh, I don't see it. And they might be like, oh yeah, I put it in your mailbox instead of emailing you. And you're like, oh my gosh, you know, like whatever, like clarify, clarify. Is my assessment of the situation clear? Are we seeing the same thing? Are we observing the same thing? Uh, and open that up from a place of dialogue, which is hard because we wanna jump right to, dude, where was this thing? I can't believe it, it wasn't done. Oh my gosh, I'm freaking out. And you're like, not, a, not an easy conversation to engage with when someone brings you the energy of, being unhappy, being, uh, I, I think New Yorkers are actually more clear than aggressive, by the way, but like that, like super direct, <laughs> that very direct piece of like, you said this was going to be here. It's not here, you know, like super clear. And I'm a big fan of the Brene Brown quote that clear is kind, like 
just cut right to it versus uh, maybe the, the Northwest. Well, hey, you know, this thing maybe was supposed to happen sometime. Like, are you sure? Like, do you think it was maybe important? And you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about anymore because there's so many like layers of maybe on there. Clear about what happened. Clear about what, like clarify those expectations and then learn. Like there's, this is like a learning conversation versus an accusing and fixing it conversation. So the learning needs to happen before the fixing repair next steps need to happen. And to really engage with that learning moment of, I need to figure out what's going on for you a little bit. You show up and you're like, oh, I didn't have that thing done. You know, my cat had to go to the vet and there was emergency surgery and blah, blah. And you're like, cool. Like suddenly I've, I've learned something or I forgot it or that wasn't important to me or, you know, whatever it is, like the both sides matter in this conversation because that's really what you're moving to resolve a little bit is, well, how do we make sure we're aligned and what matters to us and how we prioritize those things? Deadlines, deadlines, deadlines for me. And you're like, quality, quality, quality. I'm like, oh, the deadline didn't set you up to work for to the quality you wanted. Maybe we need to figure out how we how we balance those things out and come together. So the conversation is curious before judgmental and then learn, 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 and then talk about, well, what do we do next? Like what, how do we fix this in the moment? And, or how do we not have this happen in the future? You know, it just kind of depends on the thing a little bit, but that separating those pieces out really helps. Like, so by self-learning, self-understanding, self-awareness, understanding of the situation and how you feel about the situation matters as much as how I feel about it. You might be equally upset, but differently, <laughs> or you might be like, I don't even care. Like, what is the big deal? All of that matters, right? Like the whole range of emotion is a part of this. This other sneaky part that is what the situation says about to us, what we say about the situation to ourselves, about who we are as people. So me being like on time means like, oh, I'm a good person because I'm on time. You're a bad person because you're not on time. And if I come at it with that vibe and you're like, you're calling me a bad person, I'm just like care about quality, like get off my back. Suddenly it's a very defensive conversation again. So who, what we think about ourselves through these actions is this sort of undertone that we might actually have to address more overtly. Like, I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm just saying, where was this part of the project that I needed? Moving forward, moving forward, moving forward. So addressing sort of all those pieces together as before you move on to like, how do we fix this? How do we fix the future? That was a lot of words, but you got a bunch of steps in there. <laughs> I, I really appreciate you breaking it down and obviously big brushstrokes, but it's very helpful to think about and contextualize all the different steps there are internally and externally to understand and pay attention to as humans are very complicated animals and how we collaborate and try to move things forward takes a lot of time and effort and delicacy. Yeah, yeah. delicacy. Diplomacy, all those <laughs> yeah. things. And one of the things, I mean, you, you, you mentioned a lot that I want to circle too. And one of the things that came up for me when you were talking about when you're collaborating with somebody that you've never maybe worked with before, or it's been a long time, Mike Michalowicz in his new book called All In talks about the personal operating manual for each person on his team, where it talks about their styles, like, oh, are they an innovator, an, an out-of-box thinker? Are they maybe somebody that needs more time to process information? What are their abilities, their fragilities, their appreciations, their improvements, their communication strategies, their personal and professional intentions? To create these, what he calls PMOs, for each person on their team so that everybody's kind of getting 
a brief operating manual before they collaborate with somebody and they get a little bit of an insight of how this person works and functions. And there's, I, I have different feelings about it. Of like one thing, I think it's really great because you can help you orient, but also I, I feel like it can lead to assumptions really fast mm. without us maybe being as curious, like, oh, you know, Iggy's doing that because she's uh, I'm a big picture thinker, just suck it up. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. You know, and at the same time, it also might create a place of, oh, understanding and acceptance and let's move on. And maybe that prevents my mind from creating a lot of stories around, you know, why you just said that in our meeting together and not getting in my head. You mentioned also the words around question, like have curiosity before judgment. And this is so huge because our human minds are designed, right? We're programmed to judge from a place of survival. However, if we let that wild horse kind of run off, it can create havoc. What are some ways or strategies that you've seen helpful for yourself or for your clients they've worked with to tap into questions before judgments. Mm. I want to go back for a quick second to your uh, personal operating manual for people. Uh, I agree and disagree with you both. I'm a big fan of them, but in terms of how within the scope of your working relationship is like the first step of that. Like, hey, use Slack, don't use email, blah, blah, blah. I worked in an office once where I'm like, do not ever put anything on my desk. Just put it in my little mailbox cubby over there because I will lose my mind. And so if someone put something on my desk, I like just threw it in the trash, but I didn't, I mean, I wanted to every time it just irritated me. So knowing how people communicate helps. I think there's something to be said for how people think in their habits, their default habits. And I think there's a way to avoid the stereotyping like, oh, you're one of those people. And now I can treat you like that. You know, it has to be done with sensitivity, I think a little bit. And I would add to your list, knowing how to appreciate the people you work with is going to build those relationships faster and stronger, how to appreciate them and how to play with them. If you don't know those pieces of your coworkers, you're missing so much of who they are as people and how you will get work together best over time. So two points love, for that. I love that adding to that list. And this is from Mike McCallowitz. So it's not even my list, but mm -hmm. I think those are huge pieces to have insight around of how can you play and how can you appreciate your coworkers or you're just yeah. your people. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I facilitate conversations like that with co-leaders often or small leadership teams that are like super tightly driven because they're like, we produce, we produce, we produce. I'm like, you're also humans. Like you're also people. How are you going to, how do you want to work together best? Are you irritated every day when your boss is texting you or do you need to get, you know, whatever it is. So that was one thing. I forget the other thing you actually, the, your actual question was something else. I yeah, circling back to the question was, yeah, how how do we practice tapping oh. into more curiosity and asking questions instead of judgments in Ugh. the workplace or in just even our personal lives? Yeah, well, I think there's a place, I was reading a uh, conflict management procedure from an organization recently. Uh, as part of the work I do, I get to see the like, what they think should be happening. They're like, you need to be rational all the time. I'm like, you are not. You are not going to be rational all the time. Like that is to assume that people can approach these situations from rationality is is asking a lot that's not realistic, mainly because we have emotional responses. Most of us respond emotionally first to things. And that's, you know, is this okay or not okay? Do I like it? Do I not like it? Do I need to flee? Do I need, you know, what do I need to do here? Uh, 
so embracing that emotional response and taking some time to process the data from that emotion is like, I mean, it sounds like rationalizing emotion, but I think that's still information for us. It's still a data point. Like, oh, this made me frustrated. This made me angry. A lot of, some of my work just is really around naming our emotions accurately. If you ask people, this is another beautiful Brene Brown quote, which is like, you survey all the people, they'll say they're happy, sad, or angry. If you ask them how they feel 90% of the time, and in reality, there's so many more fine lines and so many more detailed emotional responses, which are all fine. They're all great. And when you're engaged in that emotional response, so there's a point of like, I'm feeling the thing. Wait, now I need to step back and like think about what I'm feeling a little bit and like name that so I can work with it and get the, the information from that. Then I can go into like, okay, what about the situation made me, it spurred this feeling in me. I think that made me feel that way is also putting the locus of control on the other person, but to bring the locus of control back to yourself is to be able to say, this thing happened, here's my emotional reaction. I'm aware of my emotional reaction. I can name it, I can figure it out, I can work with it. Now I can go back to the situation and be curious about what in the situation was actually happening or what did I see happening? Am I accurate? And uh, I mean, some of it's like that simple language of like, here's what I saw, did you see that? Versus why did you do that? you dummy, you know, like the you dummy is often silent, but like pretty clear in the tone or in the attitude or in the, you know, presentation of people. So to take the time process your, your side first, it doesn't have to take like, I think people wait too long. So this is like, yeah, process yourself, get yourself ready. Yes. If it's been like 17 years and you're like that thing that happened and you're like, whoa, like that's maybe a big thing. It takes some time, but the reality is we wait, we usually wait too long in the workplace, in like these sort of day-to-day -day, daily life things. And we, we feel like we need to be comfortable before we take action. And I would say your comfort is actually not useful <laughs> in this situation. If you are comfortable, uh, that's great. Like you may be a person who is like, oh yeah, this happens all the time. I know what to do. I'm, you know, I'm familiar with this person, the situation, blah, 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 ready to go with this conflict. Most of folks are uncomfortable, so they wait until they, they think they will get more comfortable over time, and they don't. Uh, so once you've got your emotions under, somehow processed in your brain a little bit, then I think you can move to like, well, what, here's, this is my story. What, what's your story for this thing? And to try to understand what was the other person seeing, but also was, what was the other person feeling, which I think is this deeper level of emotional intelligence. Like, I know what I'm feeling. I think you're feeling... Like we often say the other person is just mean, right? Like, oh, they did that thing because they were mean. They they wanted to be mean to me because they don't like me. Maybe, I mean, yes, and most likely not though. However, that is like a classic story we tell ourselves when we try to describe why someone else's behavior wasn't what we wanted. or wasn't what we expected. wasn't, you know, is, is problematic in whatever way. So what was actually going on for that person thinking, feeling, what do they think was happening? What do they think about themselves as a person through this behavior? What do they, you know, what is their, what's going on for them? I think once we get ourselves sort of in a space of like, okay, I know what's going on for me, then I can be more curious for what was going on for you in that same time. And I mean, I'm sure this has happened to both of us a hundred thousand times where you're like, oh, that's such a big deal. And you go and talk to the person. They're like, what? Like, I don't, like, I said that? I didn't mean it. Oh, sorry. You know, like, I guess I don't even know that that is what happened. Like, oh, I didn't realize that was even a thing. Meanwhile, we're over here, like, cogitating on it for six years. I'm like, not six years, but, you know, far too long. And uh, our rumination becomes a problem more than the actual situation that happened. Mm. 
Okay, I want to slow something down that you just shared because I think there's a lot of juiciness here that like how do we discern because after something a rupture happens, it's usually very emotional or I'll say emotional. People can put the very if they feel that. <laughs> Everyone says very is fine. It's fine. It's like um, reality. Yeah. I get very emotional. I know I'm a very emotional person. But when that happens and it and I need some time and space to reflect, right? I need to understand, as you mentioned, like what's happening for me and my experience to label my feelings, to get some orientation. How do I discern how much time is quote unquote wise? Cause you said like, you don't want to stay in the comfort zone too long. So how much time is wise to like give myself that sense of space and curiosity to understand what I'm feeling and thinking and what actually becomes maybe like unhelpful, unskillful that then is keeping me in maybe the rumination loop or the place where I'm not moving forward to offer some sort of repair or reconciliation. Oof. Generally, I'd say as short amount of time as possible. And knowing that you're going to have to embrace discomfort to have this conversation with the person, knowing that you're going to have to embrace like not like you might have some remnants of those feelings. When we think about our feelings, we sometimes reactivate those feelings in ourselves. Yeah, that's going to happen. Remember that thing that was super frustrating? Cool. Now you're super frustrated again. You're welcome. You know, like this is going to happen. So I think the knowing those things, but I think the other thing that once you can get re-clear on what your sort of goal is, it's time to start to have that conversation. Like, is my goal to fix this relationship? Is my goal to manage this relationship so that this person doesn't slow me down anymore and gets out of my way? Is my goal to uh, enact one of my personal values that I felt like, oh, this, this compromised my integrity, for example, if that was a personal value that was meaningful to me. What is like sort of that underlying goal piece? Once you're clear on that again, in terms of this situation, like, oh, you know what? Uh, like my need for freedom was really squished here. I need to uh, interact with this person in a way that they know that my need for freedom is important and that their behavior feels micromanaging to me and then I can't do my work and uh, this is everything's frustrating and terrible. So once you're clear on your values, your goals, your sort of, I, I wouldn't, I don't want to say the outcome you want because that's where we sort of, get too tight in terms of how we approach a conflict like oh i need this person to apologize i need them to pay me 400 dollars, and i need them to like never wink at me again like okay like super specific and weird but fine i think the reality is i need to repair relationship with this person i need to build trust or i need to build respect like once we can get to an articulation of that usually i would say in terms of our personal values like i need them to respect my my boundary for when I'll communicate with them and not the, not if they get mad and yell at me because they, I didn't text them back after 9 PM for a work thing. That's not cool. Like they, this is like a conversation we need to have about my boundary and to respect that or my freedom to respect that. And so under that can come from a place of your needs being met or your values being enacted. And I think once you're clear on either of those, it's time to have that conversation, which is a lot sooner than you think, because you're like, cool, I know what my values are, but I'm not comfortable yet cool, embrace the discomfort. That's okay. Your values or your needs are going to ground that conversation in a place that is not, um, not as quick to devolve into that emotional state again, which can be uh, unproductive or counterproductive. I love that you just share that, like embrace the discomfort. So you know, you're heading into an uncomfortable, especially if you have some people pleasing tendencies or you don't like conflict or conflict avoidant, right? Like if we are even coming into a situation where we know, 
it's going to be maybe be extra uncomfortable. Everyone is conflict avoidant except for sociopaths, and they have been trained to say they're conflict avoidant to fit into society. So everyone will tell you they're conflict avoidant. FYI. Okay, carry great. on. So, <laughs> so, so maybe that's all, all of us. Yeah, you're so normal. Then, you're yeah. normal. So let's accept our wholeness, right? Yes. We are all we are all conflict avoidant to some extent, and yeah, it's uncomfortable. And so can we embrace that? And then I love that you emphasized we can kind of take the emotional reactivity that we might feel from thinking about the event, that event or that rupture or those emotions that were spurred in the moment by grounding into our values and thinking about our goals can kind of take some of the, the bite out of it or some of the flighty, windy intensity, yeah. stormy energy, um, I think is really a helpful frame here. I'm curious, is there ever an instance where repair is just not going to happen oh yeah the other person's dead it's not going to happen they've literally you had a super bad situation i hear this more in sort of uh family relationships where you have a long relationship with someone you've that relationship has been very damaged and the other person literally has died or passed away like cool that repair conversation is literally never going to happen um then what right how do we move forward how do we engage with ourselves and i think there is uh, a lot to be said for folks that specifically practice in terms of uh, grief and what grief means and like that loss of human. So I defer there's a lot of expertise out there that is not my field specifically, but the reality is that repair is not going to happen. And I think there are other situations where you're like, you know, this harm was too big. I don't want to fix this relationship with this person because it, it was too big. Like, you know, whatever the thing was, like uh, sometimes around violence or around larger just larger actions that you're like, I can, you know, I think we, it's very popular in movies to be like, I'll never forgive you. Like, yeah, cool. Like that there's a cinema graph, cinema, you know, like story part of that, but then there's a reality side too. That's like, you don't actually have to forgive people, by the way, like it's okay to not forgive people, nor do you have to repair relationship with people, nor like you don't have to actually do these things, but the work then becomes on you to be like, well, okay, how do I then for some of these things, if it's a bigger situation, how do I move forward? How do I incorporate this? How do I process this, this behavior? How do I process this deep lack of trust, for example, with one person and not let that bleed or spill into my other parts of my life? And again, there are literal therapeutic professionals that will, you know, help people move through specific trauma. You know, like there's, I don't want to speak for this entire field that is super valuable and useful, but the reality is we can't always do repair and maybe we shouldn't always do repair, to be honest, and not everyone deserves to be in your life is like the end of the day, that story uh, is true or in your organization. Like you do have to fire people from your work, kick people out of your you know organization. And I think there's this time and space to kick people out of your life too. Like they may not be serving you. The relationship may not be able to be repaired. The trust may be so damaged that you're like, come back in 20 years and maybe we'll talk. But right now this is not even what I will have, want to put my energy into in terms of like repairing with you as a as a human being in this space that's all okay it's okay to have those limits and those boundaries i think the reality is we can't always cut people off and never see them again like that's not a reality in our personal lives like maybe in our work world we're like they're fired they're out of here you know and you're like okay like that, that's pretty definitive like they're not doing this job anymore but in our personal lives uh you know people are like i you know you can fire your friends like whatever it's hard to fire your family like that is very complicated obviously for people but the reality is we can uh, move to manage those relationships in ways 
that prevent future conflict. I've spoken, I'm sure we've both spoken to many people who are like, oh yeah, I haven't talked to my, my, my brother, my dad, my cousin for 10 years. And you're like, okay, they're still your family member, but like, they don't have a speaking relationship or like, I only text with them. I don't call them. I, I don't go visit them anymore. I, you know, whatever it is, like people, uh, have put these limits in their lives specifically, I think around family friend kind of relationships. Like, oh yeah, I don't hang out with them anymore. Like that is a thing. I think there's a space to have that conversation and I am, uh, always biased toward learning and growth. Like there's a space to have a conversation to get the most learning you can from that situation and to maybe help that other person learn and grow potentially. But at the end of the day, it might not be your job, might not be your, in your will to do cool. Don't do it. And <laughs> it's easier said than done to be like, I wrote them off. And like, did you like, okay, maybe. But maybe not. Maybe you're just trying to give yourself more time and space to have that conversation. Maybe you're just devolving into rumination that's not useful for that conflict and that, you know, that repair that you, even the engaging in the possibility of repair is sometimes more repairing than doing nothing. Even if you can't get to this beautiful conclusion, like the accept non-closure at the end is really another real part that it might not turn out all rainbows and butterflies at the end, but if you don't try, sometimes that is the, the part that people regret the most. Mm. Yeah. What's coming up for me as you're sharing is thinking about how I also can have this tendency as somebody who's very controlling to want to like control the repair process or control the timing of it. And just, so it was helpful to hear you share that of like, sometimes like a relationship is not worth repairing or it's going to happen on a different timeline than you want it to, or it's just going to flow in a different direction. And how can, you know, we meet that with the like personal responsibility to keep showing up and doing the work and also recognize like there's a lot that we can't control. There's a lot we can't control. And it's super hard to, have a conversation and facilitate a conversation at the same time with another person who may or may not be ready, prepared on the same wavelength, you know what I'm saying, to have that conversation. And that is, I mean, there are many mediators, facilitators, folks out there that really just work on personal conflict level, which is beautiful and fascinating. And I think we underestimate the work it takes to sometimes manage ourselves, but also cue the other person to manage themselves while we have a conversation together is there are just these different layers we sometimes have to operate at. Like I'm not ruminating. Cool. Now they're ruminating. Hold on. Now, like I'm in an emotional reaction space, Wait, now they are and like to sort of talk people through. And I think this is where those like step-by-step -step guides are actually pretty helpful because depending on which one you like or how you want to look at things, you can be like, cool, we're going to talk. Like it takes away the, the facilitation side of some of those conversations. If we're like, we're going to talk about these five things. I'm just going to let you know, here they are. Here's how it's going to flow. You can answer first and then I'll answer and then we'll keep going. And so it's kind of takes the, the management of the conversation out of the conversation, which is another layer of complication. I think that that gets added in at times and, uh, can be tricky. Yeah, for sure. Oof. There is so much here that we could keep diving deeper and deeper into. I so appreciate you sharing your wisdom and your insights with us, Iggy. Where can people learn more about you and stay connected to your work? Uh, I'm over at WSLleadership.com, which stands for Work Sport Life Leadership. 
Uh, I have a newsletter there that talks a lot about leadership and <laughs> really conflict in leadership is actually a theme that is, who knew, present in all of our lives. And uh, resources, things like that, and contacting me, you can folks can figure that out there too. So yeah, just WSLleadership.com is the easiest way for people to get a snapshot of what's going on and how to connect. Thanks so much for listening to the Centered in the City podcast. I welcome you to pause and take a moment to just tune into your body. Notice what you might be feeling as we just discussed conflict, conflict management, conflict resolution, restorative justice for the last 40 minutes. Maybe notice any sensations. Is there tightness or tingling or opening or expansion, places of warmth? coolness and maybe notice if your mind wandered to any places in your life where there's some rub maybe some conflict internally externally with coworkers, family members neighbors and I welcome you to think about what's one takeaway that you're gaining from this week's conversation with Iggy that gives you some insight in how you might want to take a baby step towards repair. So maybe that could just be take some time to sit with yourself to notice what are your own thoughts and feelings and needs from the situation. Maybe you're ready to engage and want to reach out to set up a conversation. Maybe you notice this conflict feels bigger than you and you need to reach out for some external support. Maybe it's practicing some more curiosity with self or others to explore what's really happening here. Maybe it's even just acknowledging your own value system and how you can live in alignment with your own values. Whatever comes to your heart and mind, trusting that place of wisdom and intuition and feel free to reach out to me on social media, on Instagram at one Wade, or even through the contact form in the show notes and celebrate what you are learning, what dots are connecting, and even what action you are forwarding in your own life. May all of the work that we do here at Centered in the City, whether you're a member inside the Centered City platform or whether you're a podcast listener or both, may it continue to support us all being just even 10% more centered in our lives. Thank you for being here as always and letting me and my guests into your hearts, your minds, your ears. And until next time, stay centered.